Welcome, everyone, to another exciting, we hope, we know it will be, episode of the Sermapod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am the founder and CEO, Rich Lenkov. I'm also the host of the Sermapod. Uh, we're very privileged today to have an attorney from Passage, one of our uh, early member firms. And uh, you've heard from some of Michaela's partners in the past, but today we've got Michaela Whitman, who's an attorney with uh, Passage out of Los Angeles. Michaela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know you handle complex commercial litigation, and we're going to talk today about defamation as it relates to sports and entertainment. So first of all, we a lot of us have heard defamation in the news. You know, on, on the sermon pod, we like to cover issues that are breaking in the news. And certainly there's been lots of discussion in the last year or so of some very prominent defamation cases. Perhaps the most, pro I would venture to say, the most covered trial in the history of litigation. Now, our friend Donald Trump might surpass that in the next few <laughs> But the Johnny Depp trial, in terms of its scope, its length, its visibility, is probably the most covered trial in history. So let's talk about, for a minute, what is defamation? A lot of us have heard of that term, but what, what is the definition of it? Okay, so generally speaking, um, it's a false statement that's presented as fact that um, damages the reputation of the character of the person that the statement is about. So, and, and that's a very wordy response, but there's really no other way to say it. You have to have a statement that was false, that injured the person in some way, that was communicated to the third person. Um, and there has to be some intent that you intended for it to be false. And that's when you get into the, was it a public person? Was it a, a private person? Because if it's a public person, you have to show you actually you acted with actual malice, um, that you intended and recklessly intent, disregarded that it might not have been false. Whereas a private person, you just have to show negligence. So the standard is much higher for that uh, public person, that celebrity, uh, than, than it is for the private person. And just to... Sorry, go ahead. No, go Not ahead, to go interrupt ahead. you there, but I don't do defamation law. Just to clarify, I do co insurance coverage for defamation, which is a little bit different. And it's a little it's a niche area um, where you have the underlying defamation case. So you have the, the Johnny, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. And then I come in and say, OK, if you were sued for defamation, how do I get you insurance coverage for that? Um so they're, they're intertwined, but there are attorneys that specialize in just the defamation case right. itself, whereas I'm helping the people get the insurance coverage that they need to pay for that case. So let's talk. I want to get into that because that's really interesting. Um, and just before we get into that, just, you know, slander, libel, again, a lot of our listeners hear those terms. They might not understand exactly the difference. What is the difference between libel and slander? So they're both defamation, a defamatory statement. Libel is just in writing where slander is spoken. Um, so that's the, that's just what, you, you know, they pander those terms around, but it's still a defamatory statement. It's just whether it was in writing, which is libel or slander, which is spoken. Um, okay, so explain in a little more detail what the relevance of a public figure versus a private person and why that we heard that in the Johnny Depp trial, for example, that was, you know, something we heard a lot of. But why is that such a relevant standard? So if you're going to make a defamatory statement about some, someone, so the statement is untrue, you're going to put it out into the press. So say I say to the press, you know, Mr. So-and-so did X. You have to prove then 
to that the person making that statement has to prove the defamatory statement. You have to prove that that it was um, that when you did it with actual that the other person has to prove that you did it with actual malice. Sorry, it, and it, this is a complicated issue. The actual malice thing is what you want to for a public figure is important. So you have to prove that that statement was made intentionally and with reckless disregard for whether it was true or not. And this this defam the def defamation issue comes down to was the a lot of times was the statement true or was it not true, and that's why a defense to defamation is truth, um, and that's why in the, these cases you get into a lot of what actually happened, um, what were the you know. Was it true that that so and so assaulted that person? Was it true that they did what was alleged, um, or was it a false statement? And that person that made it knew it was um, a false statement. So you have to prove that that person knew it was false. And how do you go about proving that? That seems like you know. <laughs> that's why I hired. Well, that's why I hired a defamation attorney. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there are attorneys that specialize in just this and how you prove you know, defamation, taking it to trial and the elements of that. And it's state it's state specific. So that's why, you know, depending on where the def defamation was alleged, you want an attorney in that state um, that specializes in defamation of that state. So we mentioned Johnny Depp. We mentioned Donald Trump in another context. But Donald Trump, of course, has been found liable for defamation. He's being sued again for defamation. Probably the least of his legal troubles right now. <laughs> uh, Kesho is involved in a uh, high-profile celebrity defamation case recently. There's been many others. Um, what, to what do you attribute the rise in celebrity defamation litigation? Or are we just hearing about it more now? I, I mean, I think they've always, there's always been these suits to some degree. I mean, the first one was in, actually, it was, I was researching for this podcast. The first one was in 1976. Uh, Carol Burnett brought the first defamation lawsuit against a, um, a news outlet that said that she was drunk at a, at a meeting with Henry Kissinger. She won, um, saying because it was false. And they basically, they could prove that the news outlet acted with actual malice and when they were saying that statement. Um, so they have been going on for years, but I think with the rise of social media in particular, you have um, public figures, celebrities making statements in social media um, over Twitter, um, you know, Facebook. So there's just more statements being made and people are taking very strong opinions on them. And then I think we're hearing about them more because, like I said, um, you know, the social media, you hear about the actual cases that are occurring more. Um, I also think it'll be interesting following the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial. You know, that one was so sensationalized, as you said, and I can't, we represent one of the parties there, so I can't really get into any of the specifics about that case. But just going forward, I'll be curious to see if more people take defamation cases to trial um, as opposed to settling them early on, which a lot of these settle um, you know, rather than get into all the underlying issues, as you saw at the case um, with the, the Johnny Depp trial. And you mentioned social media. That's certainly, you know, obviously a huge factor. And, and one of the lessons I think we took from the Amber Heard trial is the degree to which social media is such an aggravating factor when you're calculating damages. Because in the past, one of the challenges, I think, in calculating what the damages are from defamation is, well, okay, there was a statement made. We know that defamation could be just from one statement. It doesn't have to be republished many times. But the challenge in the past was 
okay, well, really, what's the damage to your reputation, right? I mean, you're a celebrity, you're still making movies, you're still out there, you know, making appearances, maybe making TV shows. Now, though, when you make a defamatory statement against a celebrity, or really anyone, but it's more pronounced with a celebrity, you see the real-time results and you see, you know, the arguably damages from that because people are reacting and people are, you know, what, hundreds of thousands of people, right. no exaggeration, were talking. Millions sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, millions. I mean, millions and millions of people were all over Amber Heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she successfully argued that she can't be employed in Hollywood again. You know, that was at least partially argument. So social media, you know, is, is both a an asset and a liability when it comes to this, but certainly improving right. damages. It's a real time way to show the jury that, hey, look, here's an example of why my reputation mm-hmm. has been harmed. Exactly. And, I, you know, for a celebrity, your, your brand, your reputation can be everything. Right. Um and it's so that's another reason that they're going to pursue these cases, because, you know, with the advent of social media and globally millions and millions of people seeing this, your reputation could be harnessed by, you know, one one line on a tweet um, that they have to, you know, try to rehabilitate. Right, right. Uh, not a tweet anymore, though. Right. I was reading an article yesterday. What they're calling <laughs> what they're calling tweets in the post X world. I think they're just called posts. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, is it an X? It's just an X. I, yeah, I, I X it. X something. Who knows? It's it's uh, thanks thanks to Elon Musk. Um, all right, so just explain sort of in the realm of what you do because we we know you're not you know prosecuting or defending defamation cases per se, but how does the coverage work for this? You know, uh, how do you work with your clients once they have been allegedly the victims of defamation? Um, how do you you know go about uh, procuring coverage if you are you know, the individual, how does all that work? So um, one of the most important things, and I say this to any, no matter what, if you have a claim brought against you is we look at their insurance policies. We see what policies they have and if any of them can provide coverage for defamation. Um, Typically uh, you're, you're going to have to have um, a specialty policy. So like a media liability policy would cover a defamation claim. Um, We look under general liability policies, you know, if if your company has or you individually have a general liability policy, but there's usually exclusions that apply. So your standard general liability policy doesn't cover it. Um, The most where we're finding the most coverage is under homeowners policies. Um, And it's not somewhere you would necessarily look first place. Oh, my homeowners has defamation coverage. It seems very odd, but it actually does. And it's typically worldwide defamation coverage. Um, so homeowners policies are one of our, the first places we look under uh, to see if there's coverage for defamation. Um, and then media liability policies, if you're in the, in the media space, you've usually bought, purchased one of these specialty policies. So do you find that celebrities, um, have additional insurance beyond their, what you, you know, as you mentioned, their homeowners policy? Yeah, what they usually do is they buy a homeowner's policy and then they buy an umbrella policy, which is not just excess. It provides extra coverage. We think of it as like a literally like an umbrella. So you're not just getting more in limits, you know, more money. You're getting extra coverage, such as defamation. Um, So a lot of celebrities, high net worth individuals um, will buy this umbrella policy. And it's it's actually and I say celebrities and uh, high net worth individuals, a lot of just people that are, you know, not celebrities are buying it more and more. I think because people are becoming aware that, oh, this umbrella policy could could provide me extra coverage than I have just on homeowners. Um, but the most important thing is look at your policies, <laughs> know what you have and see if there's a potential there 
uh, for coverage. Because a lot of people just think, oh, I don't have coverage. There's nothing I can do. Um, and with with social media, I think you're going to see, and you, you are seeing more and more defamation lawsuits just from the private citizen, the private person that's, you know, sending something out on, on social media. There's more defamations against them as well, um, not just the celebrities of the world. So this is something everyone should be aware of and be checking to see what policies they have. Mikhail, are there any actions by a policyholder that might exclude them from coverage in the defamation well, coverage area? Well, the, the insurance company would like to think so, yes. but we always like to say there's always a, a potential for coverage. Um, uh, you know, you might have insurance for that. So insurance companies, for instance, um, will look at certain exclusions like an intentional act exclusion or depending on what the underlying allegation is. For example, there's often a sexual misconduct exclusion that, you know, if, if the defamation was about sexual assault, the insurance company will say, you know, this arose out of sexual assault. The defamation did. You're not covered under this policy. Um, we we argued we had this issue in uh, Cosby, which we represented him on a defamation claim and were able to get him some coverage for that. And the the issue became how broadly do you interpret that exclusion? Um, you know, does it cover if, if there's allegations of sexual assault? Does it exclude all of your coverage for defamation? Um, and it went all the way up to the First Circuit in Massachusetts um, from a, a Massachusetts federal case where just former Supreme Court suitor said it's ambiguous. We can't tell from these policies how broadly it's supposed to be um, interpreted. So when something's ambiguous, it has to be interpreted in favor of coverage. So that's a long-winded way of saying insurance companies are going to look at exclusions to try to keep you from getting coverage under this uh, for defamation. Um, and it will largely depend on what the underlying allegation is to see what exclusion applies. Gotcha. Now, you mentioned the Bill Cosby case that, that you represented, uh, former TV star on. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can't get into a lot of details, but could you give us a sense of what was going on there? Yeah. So you, and most people know about the criminal cases that were brought against him, but he was also sued by a number of women for allegedly defaming them. So, you know, they said that they were sexually assaulted. He said, I didn't do it. And then they sued him for calling them a liar. That's that's the easiest way. <laughs> the, the, you know, there were some more facts in there, but that's the easiest way to explain it. And then Mr. Cosby said, well, I'm going to get in. I have a homeowner's policy that covers this exact cl the defamation claim. Um, and the insurance company fought it in three different states that they shouldn't have to pay for this. Um, so, you know, it's it's. It's a great if, if you're interested in insurance coverage, uh, defamation law or coverage for defamation. It's one of the most important cases on this issue in the last couple of years because it said that the insurance company had to pay for it under this homeowner's policy. Um, but, you know, the, and the other thing to remember and when people are like, oh, you represented Bill Cosby. Yeah, I represented Bill Cosby, but it also helps those women get paid um, because they were you know, we were able to pay money to those women that otherwise wouldn't have necessarily gotten any money. Um, so while you're defending someone that, you know, there are allegations made against, I'm, I'm defending him in, in, in insurance, uh, which is a little bit different. For sure. Uh, Nikhil, we'll wrap up with maybe some takeaways for our audience. If 
unfortunately, someone is on the receiving end of a defamation claim, what are some tips, what are some advice? And of course, most importantly, how do they maximize their chances of getting uh, covered by a policy? Well, number one, as I said before, know, know what policies you have and look at all of them for for coverage. Um, if you don't know, you should talk to a coverage attorney or someone, an attorney to look at those policies um, and see what's there. Um, if you're, you put in a notice of a claim and an insurance company says, no, don't take it at face value, that there's nothing to do there, that you can't push back. Um, a lot of times people will say, oh, it's I got a denial or a reservation of rights letter. I'm done. That's not the final step. You shouldn't take it as the final step, especially if there's coverage in there and they're using an exclusion to not pay um, because you can fight exclusions, um, you know, that don't, don't take it as that's it. Michaela Whitman from Passage LLP. The website for more information is P-A-S-I-C-H-L-L-P.com, PassageLLP.com. Uh, they are a SIRMA member. You can find them there as well. Michaela, thank you so much for helping us out on this very interesting issue. Please come back and Update us as we hear about more defamation coverage cases. I would love that. Thanks for having me, Rich. Thank you. Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.